Hello and welcome to the Brookwood Church Sunday Message Podcast. Today, our senior pastor, Perry Duggar, will deliver a message on how to avoid hypocrisy. So go ahead and open up your Bible or your Bible app to Luke 12, 1 through 12. That way you can follow along with the entirety of the message. You can also find our weekly message outline and many other resources on our website at brookwoodchurch.org or on our Brookwood Church app. Our prayer is that this message will bless you today. You know, I love seeing the enthusiasm of praise. And it's not, it's not more spiritual to stand than to sit. But the question remains, does your spirit desire to give voice to Christ in worship? That's the, that's the real issue. What's happening inside of you? We return to our series, The Life of Jesus. Summer is upon us and kids are out. Mom, y'all all happy? <laughs> Let me urge you, your schedule does decline a little bit, gets a little slower generally in the summer. But don't let this be a summer to slip into the doldrums spiritually. Take advantage of the lighter schedule to grow spiritually. You know, you have the book. If you haven't purchased it, buy a book and read through the whole book this summer, The Life of Jesus. You know, again, try to add some spiritual disciplines. I still fast on Tuesdays. You can join me on Tuesday. You can fast a day or a meal or even from media. But try to, this summer, Develop some greater depth of understanding and intimacy with Christ. It's a, good, it's a good time to do it. You know, as I've told you, we're studying this so that we know Jesus as he's revealed from God's word, from the scripture. Because whatever, however I characterize Jesus out of my own preferences or out of my imagination is merely an idol. Because Christ is only as he's presented in the word, not how I prefer or imagine him to be. Today's message is entitled Hypocrisy. So take out your message guide. In these circumstances, we'll be in reading 121. You can turn there as well. And these circumstances literally means at the same time as readings 117 to 120. It's from Luke chapter 11. So it's in the same setting, and and all of these readings occur in one conversation. It's continuous. A crowd of many thousands, literally, the Greek is tens of thousands. That's an awful high number, but that's what it says. They came together so that they were trampling on one another. Now, you know why they're trampling on one another? Pushing each other out of the way to get closer so they could hear. And he began to say this to his disciples first. He started with his disciples. Disciples, remember, literally means learners, but you could also say followers. Be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. What does the word hypocrisy mean? You have an idea? 
Do one or the other, that's right. Hypocrisy, it's a Greek word, hypocrisis, and it means acting a part, pretending, or deceiving. Now, the Greek word that's translated hypocrite was originally a secular term that referred to an actor playing a role on a stage. In the New Testament, it became more of a religious term used to describe someone who claimed to speak for God, but did not. These Pharisees were hypocrites, and Jesus leveled, laid this word, leveled this word against them. Usually, they were his most common audience the religious leaders, the scribes, the Pharisees, the Sadducees. And they were deceivers because they claimed to be authorities on how Jews must obey God's law in order to enter his kingdom. But what they said wasn't true. Now understand this, Moses was given the law by God. And the Talmud, what's the Talmud? How many books? Five books. The first five books contain 613 commandments distilled out. But these Pharisees and these other religious leaders, they wanted to be sure no one broke the law by accident or intentionally. So they came up with all these interpretations and all these applications of the law. They actually had 63 volumes to interpret not only the Ten Commandments, but the 613 commandments, so you could be sure you would never violate a law of God. Now, the problem is they focused on that instead of on God. And they saw reaching God as obeying all the commands, not as developing a relationship with Him and being guided by the relationship. Now, today the word hypocrite has largely lost the meaning of actor. But it's retained the meaning of someone who claims religious or Christian beliefs and convictions, but does not follow them. Jesus rebuked these religious leaders. You can see on page 148, the top of 148, Verse 52 of Luke 11, woe to you experts in the law. You have taken away the key of knowledge. You didn't go in yourselves and you hindered those who were going in. Now the note on that is good. So I urge you, you know, as you read the passages, read these notes. A knowledge of the scriptures is the key that opens the door to the glories of Christ and his kingdom. The experts in the law had taken away this knowledge by teaching the nonsense of tradition. Those are the oral traditions. And now they're compiled in 63 volumes. Rather than the genuine word of God. They didn't open the door for themselves. And they confused others in their efforts to open it. So Jesus is rebuking them for this foolishness. This misdirection. This hypocrisy. Now this time in Jesus' ministry. He's, he's been... His public ministry has been ongoing for more than two years. And what is beginning to happen is that the Jewish leaders are beginning to influence the thinking of the people. And they are starting, at least a portion of them, are starting to view Jesus with suspicion 
instead of overwhelming enthusiastic support. See, you can't say now that these tens of thousands are all there eager to learn from Jesus. A substantial portion of them are there to watch the conflict between Jesus and these Pharisees. You know how people in our culture love to see conflict. Like that's all this foolish reality TV that's all staged. Is they love to see scandal and conflict and arguments. And, and so these people are curious and they're interested in the entertainment. But you'll notice in the teaching that as the people are becoming more skeptical, Jesus message includes more warnings of judgment. In fact, you can see there in reading 119, one page over on 146 at the top, he calls them an evil generation. The crowds were increasing and he said, this generation is an evil generation and it demands a sign, but no sign will be given it except the sign of Jonah. So Jesus is warning his disciples, be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Okay, who uses yeast? Why do you use it, Don? What does it do? It increases it. Do you use a lot of yeast? Why do you only need a little bit? A little bit goes a long way. Have you noticed how scandal and skepticism goes a long way? And so it's working through just a little bit of this yeast of the Pharisees, this hypocrisy is being worked through the minds of the people and it's permeating their thinking. It also carries with it the idea, yeast carries it, the idea or leaven of sin, the presence of sin or the presence of pride. So the Pharisees are influencing the thinking of the people and it's spreading throughout. Jesus wanted his disciples to be aware of this deceptive influence of the Pharisees because it's leading the people to spiritual destruction. So he taught his followers and us, by extension, how to avoid hypocrisy, which leads to exclusion from the kingdom of God. So we're going to consider in our text refusing hypocrisy. And you might want to draw in there, it is spiritual hypocrisy. I'm not covering every kind of hypocrisy. It's religious or spiritual hypocrisy primarily in this text. So the first step is to recognize God's omniscience. What does omniscience mean? All-knowing. You meant omnipotent. All-knowing, but thanks for the try. But today you don't get a start. Hypocrites want people to see them as other than they truly are. Hypocrisy, whether it's the Pharisees or ours, is focused on influencing, convincing, even manipulating other people. It's trying to control somebody else's perception of you. 
Spiritual hypocrites want to gain a position of respect. They want all the people to look up to them. So they're speaking as authorities on God and his word. And they're telling people how to enter the kingdom of God, but they don't know how. They think they do, but they're self-deceived and they're deceiving others. The first defense against hypocrisy is becoming very aware that God knows all. Verse 2, there is nothing covered that won't be uncovered, nothing hidden that won't be made known. Therefore, whatever you have said in the dark will be heard in the light. And what you have whispered in an ear in private rooms, and it's really referring there to an inner storage room. The storage rooms in these first century homes were in the middle of the house because, see, thieves could dig through the mud walls. And so they could get something without even coming in the door or through a window. So the, the storage, the, the valuables were kept in the middle. So it, it's actually referring to this inner room. But what, whatever you've whispered in an ear in an inner room will be proclaimed on the housetops. See, while hypocrites may succeed in their deception on earth, God knows the truth. And God will judge all of us according to his perception, not our presentation of ourselves. The truth will be made known. Sins will be exposed. Judgment will be carried out correctly and perfectly. Verse 4, and I say to you, my friends, don't fear those who kill the body. And after that, can do nothing more. See, as I mentioned, hypocrites are preoccupied, consumed with what other people think about them, not what God knows about them. And it's foolish to be concerned about the opinions of people who, yes, can harm you, and this says can even end your life on earth, and we would go, well, that's pretty drastic. It is, but, it, but from our perspective, it's, it's a horrifying thought, but from Christ's perspective, knowing how brief life is and how relatively unimportant it is compared to eternity, he's saying, don't fear the people who can end your life on earth. Rather, be concerned with what influences your eternal existence. But I will show you the one to fear. And because that O is capitalized, it's a reference to God to divinity. Fear him who after he has killed has authority to throw into hell. Yes, this is the one to fear. So is he saying to fear God? He is saying to fear God. Fear doesn't just mean, you know, shaking your boots, but it means to regard, to pay attention to, to have all for, you know, you would not disregard the one you fear. You're going to have rapt attention when that one speaks. The word hell, do you remember the Greek word for hell? Gehenna. And it comes from what? From where? Come on, y'all. This is last week, two weeks ago. Valley of Hinnom. Yes, southeast of Jerusalem. And in the Valley of Hinnom, which still is there, Centuries earlier, 
there were children sacrificed to the god Molech. They were passed through the fires, the way it's referred to in the Old Testament. But this place was so detestable, it became what? Yeah, trash dump. Became the city dump. So they didn't have a management company picking up the trash. And so remember, you know, we think about the drive-thru if I want something to eat. But if they wanted some roast beef, they started with a cow, the moo and all. So you had to end up, you had the carcass, you know, when things, when vegetables or produce rotted, you had to have somewhere to cast it. So this city dump is always a flame. They're trying to burn this stuff and it would stink and it had smoke and burning sulfur. And that's where a lot of the images in the New Testament about hell come from. Because it's a reference actually to what was going on in the city dump. But it became figuratively a way to speak of the place of eternal punishment and the place of separation from God. Verse 6, he conti- Jesus continues, aren't five sparrows sold for two pennies? Now, a penny was an Assyria, a little small copper coin, Roman coin, and it was equal to one-sixteenth of a denarius. Anybody remember what a denarius was? Perfect. A de- one denarius was what a laborer was paid for one day's work. So five sparrows cost two-sixteenths of what a laborer would earn in one day. Very inexpensive. Now, do sparrows have much meat on them? So it was really what the poor people could afford, and they would eat. So you could buy five sparrows. But look what he says. Not one of them is forgotten in God's sight. God knows every sparrow. You know that song, his eyes on the sparrow, and I know he watches me. Indeed, the hairs on your head are all counted. How many hairs on a, an average head? How many? <laughs> you're the expert. <laughs> oh, you're, you're the colorist, though. Well, there's about 100,000 strands of hair on the average head. Now, I have about two-thirds of that. Larry, you have only about a tenth of that. But it doesn't mean you're less important to God. God knows every hair on your head. He knows every thought in your mind. He knows every fear, every concern. Nothing eludes his watchful eye. For you are worth more than many sparrows. Nothing about your life escapes God's notice. And that includes even these insignificant details of how many strands are still on your head. Now these truths are comforting to believers, but very threatening to hypocrites. Because their self-righteousness might fool people but it doesn't fool God because God knows everything about them 
So here's a question. Am I more, now this is a question for you. Am I more concerned about what people think about me or what God knows about me? Do you know the answer to that? How do you spend your time, your effort, your words, your energy? Another way to refuse spiritual hypocrisy is to reveal faith's reality. And I say to you, anyone who acknowledges me before men, and the word acknowledges could have also been translated, says the same thing, confesses or agrees with me before men, the Son of Man will also acknowledge him before the angels of God. And that's a reference to at judgment. To acknowledge Christ... It's to affirm that what is said about him in the word, about his identity, his person, his works, and his words, in other words, his totality of life, to, to acknowledge is to say, I agree, I accept, that's part of me. Now, the essence of confessing Christ is recognizing he is Lord. It's a, it's a very destructive theology that separates Jesus into Savior and Lord because see, he only has one personhood. And when he enters relationship with you, he comes as Lord. He doesn't, you don't get a part-time acceptance or a part-way acceptance of Christ. It's his identity. And this teaching that, well, as long as you believe Jesus really is the Son of God raised from the dead, you're saved. That's a piece of it. But those are just accepting facts. The scripture says in James, demons accept the facts. But a Christian accepts the Lordship because he, he or she comes into relationship with who Jesus is. So the essence of confessing Jesus is self-denial. It's surrender of self to Jesus' control. An expression of spiritual hypocrisy is, is acting or pretending to be a Christian, accepting some of those basic starting point facts, but not having a life that's surrendered to Jesus. Not truly following Christ which often indicates not born again. Let me give you an example. You know, the, the relationship I use most common to illustrate is a marriage. And because the marriage is compared to the relationship between Jesus and a Christian, a believer. But let's say you got married and you say, well, you know, I, I'm, really, I'm really motivated for this marriage. So here's what I'll do. On Sunday through Wednesday, I will be committed to you. I'll co talk with you. I'll be faithful to you. I'll spend time with you. But Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, I'm going to do whatever I want. 
Would you, would you take that from Jamie? Would anyone in this room take that from their spouse? Why not? Why not? It doesn't sound good. You get four of the seven days. But it is laughable, isn't it? And yet, how many of us treat Christ that way? I'll give you this over here, but don't you dare touch that. Don't expect my complete surrender to you. I'll go to church. I might even give a little money, and, but don't expect it all. No, that's who Jesus is. It's take it or leave it with him. Well, nobody's perfect. Well, you know what? When you got married, you didn't do marriage perfectly, did you? But you're doing it better, aren't you? Ron, you're doing it better, aren't you? Because when we're talking about a relationship, I ought to be able to say, is your relationship with your spouse deeper, warmer, more intimate, more honest now than it was five years ago? It ought to be. And in same, in same measure, is your relationship with Jesus Christ warmer, more intimate, deeper, more honest now than it was, I could say, five years ago, but really I should be able to say one year ago. Because we're talking about living relationships, and they are not standing still. Relationships are always improving or declining. A true confession of Christ, you see, results in transformation. It begins with conversion or regeneration, which is also born, being born again. Those are synonymous terms. But they continue through sanctification. And sanctification means being made more holy, but you can think of it simply, it's being conformed to look like Jesus. Now, here's the simplest measure of your spiritual maturity. How much you look like Jesus. Not how much theology you know, how many Bible studies you attend. None of those are measures of your spiritual maturity. This is the only question that matters. How much like Jesus do you look? And act is included in that, obviously. It's conformity to Christ. Unfortunately, we've often made discipleship be going to this conference, going to this Bible study, doing this, doing that, but it's not. In its essence, it's how much like Jesus do you look. And because becoming born again changes, makes significant changes in our lives, it changes our values, it changes our motivations, it changes our behavior, it alters our morals, it even alters our identities. I'll say this, it even changes the way some people look. Have you seen that? They look different when they're born again. Because of that, faith will be displayed and demonstrated because it's become part of the fabric of who you are. You cannot deny it. So if you ask around your office and everyone's surprised you're a churchgoer, something vital is missing. No one should be surprised that you're a follower of Christ. Even if you don't preach in the office. You see what I'm saying? They'll say, I knew something was very different about you. Salvation produces such a radical transformation. It cannot be hidden. 
And whether or not a person confesses Jesus as Lord, which is just recognizing who he is and who he always is in a relationship, that's what determines our eternal destiny. See, a sure way to miss out on heaven is to deny God through our deeds while claiming to know him through our words. Just like the Pharisees. Y'all know James 2.17, faith without works is dead. An insincere, half-hearted, superficial confession of Christ that doesn't include submission is equal to denial. Because it's who he is, you see. And you know the passage, Matthew 7, verses 21 through 23. Jesus said, you claim to know me. You know, your lips speak of me, but your heart's far from me. I never knew you. So here's a question for each of us. Have I declared, and more importantly, do I demonstrate that Jesus is the Lord of my life? the leader, the master, the director of my life. A related way to refuse spiritual hypocrisy is to receive the Spirit's revelation. We're on verse 10 now. Anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man, which you know is a a name for Jesus, a messianic title, but it it emphasizes his humanity, will be forgiven. But the one who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. Now, this is a little strange, isn't it? It's a little little bit threatening. Because it says we can be forgiven for speaking a word against Jesus, the Son of Man. Which we're glad to read that because otherwise none of us could be saved. You say, well, I've never said anything against Jesus. No, but we've all opposed him in some way. It's likely you haven't spoken against Jesus, although I'm sure some have. But see, our disobedience of the Bible, our refusal to live according to the teaching of Christ is equivalent to speaking against the Son of Man. Because through our actions, we're denying his right to rule over our lives. See, when I'm just acting independent, I'm doing my own thing. By me becoming independent, I'm declaring you are not Lord. You see that? And perhaps this sin of speaking against Jesus can be forgiven because he, he was and is fully human. So, it's possible for people to be confused about his true identity. To me, it's understandable that people that grew up with him, you know, played with him as a kid, would be shocked that he's the Messiah. Now, they, always, they would have said, well, the guy, he always plays fair, so I wondered what was going on with him. He doesn't lie or anything, but I didn't, you know, I wouldn't have thought he was from God. I mean... He lives with his family. He's got these brothers and sisters. His father is a carpenter or mason, whichever one. So how can he be from God? You can, you can understand that, can't you? It's very, re- I mean, I'm glad I'm not living next door to him. It's easier to, to, to understand from the word. 
But this verse adds ominously that blasphemy against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. What's another expression that refers to this principle? Unpardonable sin, yeah. And it's sort of frightening, isn't it? Blasphemy is, is dishonoring the divine. But blasphemy against the Spirit is rejecting His revelation, His testimony concerning Jesus Christ. See, it's the Holy Spirit who reveals the truth of salvation in Christ. You remember the day you were born again? It wasn't the first time you'd heard the good news, was it? You'd probably heard it for what? How many? 20-something years? How many? At least 25 years. You'd heard the gospel. You could articulate the gospel. But you didn't know the Savior, did you? It's when the Spirit revealed, like He birthed that in you. That's born again, being born again. And no longer was it deniable, was it? Because you weren't the same guy. And it didn't mean that you just, you just brushed away some bad habits. You were different. Remade. Now you're still improving. But you're nothing like you were. See, it's the Holy Spirit that reveals the truth. But those who speak evil against the work of the Spirit, as the Pharisees had done, they're rejecting the testimony of the Holy Spirit. And rejecting the truthfulness of the Spirit means denying the Spirit is from God. And in the spiritual realm, there's only one other alternative. He's from whom? If he's not from God, who's he from? From Satan. And remember on several occasions, the Pharisees attributed the power of Jesus to whom? Y'all keep talking or I'm not letting y'all go home. To demons, yes, in one verse, but also to, remember, Beelzebul, which is another name for Satan. So it's attributing that the power Jesus was used came from a demonic source, a satanic source. In that, they were blaspheming the Holy Spirit who was the source of that power. Remember, Jesus abdicated his own personal strength. And so he performed these miracles by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, perhaps, this is my thought. So when it's my thought, you get to do what? You can discard it. Perhaps... The sacrificial action of Jesus in dying for our sins makes salvation possible. But the work of the Holy Spirit within us, giving us new birth, regenerating us, makes salvation actual. So rejecting the true source of salvation, the Holy Spirit, results in people having no other way to be saved. And that comports with scriptural teaching, Hebrews 10, 26 through 29, for example. Eternal separation from God 
in hell, in Gehenna, awaits those who, awaits those who turn their backs on the truth of Jesus Christ revealed by the Holy Spirit. Is that distressing to any of you? It ought to be. It's a foreboding idea, foreboding thought. But let me say this, a word of assurance. If you are concerned that you have blasphemed the Holy Spirit, you haven't. Because you have sensitivity about the possibility. You're not denying that the Spirit is from God or you would be unconcerned with anything I'm saying. See, the fact that if you are indifferent, you're not in a safe place. But if you are concerned, you're not denying the Spirit of God or declaring that His testimony of Jesus is true. So have you received and responded to the revelation of Jesus by the Holy Spirit. Now, fourthly, we refuse spiritual hypocrisy by relying on the Holy Spirit's strength. After this frightening statement about blasphemy against the Spirit, Jesus offers some reassurance to true believers. Verse 11. Whenever they bring you before synagogues and rulers and authorities, that's Jewish and Gentile, don't worry about how you should defend yourselves or what you should say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you at that very hour what must be said. Now, in the context, he's actually talking about their being put under pressure. And so these these believers are wondering, oh my, what if, I, what if I deny Jesus? What if I turn my back on him? And so they are concerned they might commit blasphemy under pressure, under persecution. And they would be apprehended. They would be cross-examined. They would be beaten and punished and many put to death for their faith. But the Holy Spirit would empower them during this persecution. And they would be strengthened by the Spirit. So they would not abandon their faith. They would not bring shame on Christ. They would have their faith refined by the fiery pain of persecution. 1 Peter 1, 5-7. But the Spirit would make certain that Jesus' disciples will know what to say to confirm their faith. Even under very threatening circumstances. Luke 21, 12 through 19. Dennis Agri was here this, this morning in the first service from Liberia. And Dennis knows persecution. Um, Muslims in Liberia are not that aggressive. But there are some native religions, people, followers of native religion that are much more aggressive. And... Dennis has been chained to a tree for days. Other partners of his as pastors have been put to death. Um, in India, some of the, the men that we have helped to support who work with Praveen have been killed by militant Hindus primarily. Again, the Muslims are not as militant there in India in most places. Hindus are more, more militant. But in those instances... 
the Holy Spirit strengthens. You know, on Friday, May 26, just a week ago, 29 Coptic Christians. Now, Coptic means Egyptian Orthodox. 29 Coptic Christians, which included 10 children, were murdered by Islamist terrorists who marched them off of a bus. They were on a pilgrimage and asked each one of them if they were Christians. They were told to renounce their faith in Christ, their Christian faith, and to profess belief in Islam. And all of them Even the children refused and were killed. If you read martyrdom throughout history, God's Spirit strengthens His children in moments of persecution. So we don't have to fear that we would turn our backs on Christ. Now, not many of us have faced that type of persecution, but you might face just social persecution or persecution, uh, criticism at the office. But the Spirit will strengthen you even there. Because here's the truth. We don't hold on to Christ. He holds on to us. So do you possess the Holy Spirit? Or more importantly, does He possess you? Our counselors will be here. They'll be happy to pray with you about anything that I've taught today about just your your relationship with Christ. If you're struggling physically or emotionally and would like someone, or spiritually, to anoint you with oil and pray, the counselors will be here and would just be happy to provide that that service of the family of God. We don't see healing always, but we see healing sometimes. So I invite you to come. Father God, we, we ask your spirit to meet the various needs in our midst. Lord, some need to be encouraged in their faith and they're struggling. They need to be strengthened against temptation Others need to be convicted for lack of temptation and lack of conviction. But Lord, many just don't know you and can't know you humanly unless you show yourself, reveal yourself to them by the Spirit. So Lord, I pray today you will show yourself to many before they leave this room. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for coming. Here at Brookwood Church, our desire is to assist you in pursuing a relationship with Jesus so that you can experience transformed life. If you have questions about this message or you would like to request prayer, we encourage you to visit our website at brookwoodchurch.org forward slash get help. You can find our message archives on our website or on our Brookwood app. Thank you so much for listening and have a blessed day.